All right, good morning, Three Circle Church. All of you who are joining us online and all of our campuses, just want to welcome everyone. We're going to continue today our Storm Shelter series as we're walking through the book of First Peter. Now, this past Friday night, we had a big church-wide event, True Marriage Live. Our marriage conference took place at the Battle House Hotel in Mobile, Alabama. How many of you were there for the marriage conference? Yes, a lot of folks. Okay, if you weren't there, you don't want to miss those again because they're always awesome, okay? But our special speaker for that was Brian Bloy, and Brian is with us this morning. Let me tell you about Brian. Uh, Pastor Brian Bloy and his wife Amy are with us for the weekend. They did an incredible job Friday night. Brian's a good friend of mine. We've uh, gotten to know each other over the past few years because we're a part of some church planting networks together. He planted in 1997 Westridge Church in the northern part of Atlanta, Dallas, Georgia area, and that church went on to become one of the great churches in the country, truly. They have planted other churches, ministry-minded, the impact of Pastor Brian and his church will be really hard to calculate. It just goes on and on and on. So it's a huge honor to have him here. He's an incredible Bible teacher. He's going to jump right into the series with us today and take us further into 1 Peter. So if you would, welcome my good friend, Pastor Brian Bloy. All right. Oh, so good to be with you, Three Circle. Uh, what a great weekend. And, and uh, so good to meet so many of you at the marriage retreat on Friday night. Um, so for those of you that were not at the marriage retreat, I'm just gonna confess something. Let's just get it out in the air. I'm originally from Michigan. Um, and so I, I was born into this being a big Michigan football fan. I'm just gonna say that. And, and here's why I bring this up. <clears throat> I wanna thank you. Because every 10 years, the SEC will allow the Big Ten to win the national championship. And, and I just want to say thank you for that, that every once in a while we get to share in that. It'll, I know it'll be probably another 20 years before I can celebrate that, all right? I'll be, I'll be 78 when that happens. Um, but, but in my mind, in my mind, and I'm sure in yours, uh, the Michigan-Alabama game was the national championship game. So um, thank you very much, all right? Um, <laughs> I was so nervous during that game. You're not going to hear me say roll tide. It's not going to happen. But anyway, so that, that is... Uh, 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 first of all, before I jump in, I, I know you know this, but I want to tell you from somebody who's coming in from the outsider, you have a great pastor. This church has a great pastor, and um, <clears throat> his wife, Nan, is amazing. Uh, they're such a great team together, and I'm so honored to be here today. And Amy, I don't know where you are out in the crowd right now, but um, we're just so, so glad to be here together. Um, Pastor Chris and I, we have the same mentor, uh, actually some of the same mentors, but one of our mentors is a guy named Larry Osborne who has been here, has spoken here. And Chris and I are, are currently involved in, in mentoring groups uh, under Larry Osborne. We're in different groups. They're all called the Eagle's Nest. Um, Larry's got like seven or eight of these groups that meet throughout the year. Chris is in a younger group called the Young Eagles. I'm in the oldest of all the groups. We're, we're the, the bald eagles. Um, <clears throat> I'm 58. I'm actually the youngest guy in the room, believe it or not. Last year, I heard Larry say to the pastor's group that I'm involved in, he said, he said, never tell a personal story that is more than 20 years old because it will make you seem old to your church. 55 years ago, um, when I was in ninth grade, disco music was a big thing. How many of you remember that dark time in the, in the history of music? Okay, um, th there was a song that came out in January of 1979 that, that literally took over radio. It, it, it has been named number 20 on Billboard Magazine's 
100 Greatest Girl Group Songs of All Time. It actually became the official theme song of the 1979 World Series champion Pittsburgh Pirates. Some of you may know where I'm going with this. We Are Family by Sister Sledge, right? Three Circle Church, we are family. We're God's people. We're part of God's family. I have enjoyed listening to the first two weeks of the series in First Peter. I had a chance to listen to uh, Pastor Chris do it. Such a great job in the series, Storm, uh, Storm Shelter. And, and when you think about chapter one, which is where we've been, Peter identifies this group of believers, believers that he's writing to as a family. Even though from an earthly perspective, these people were refugees who had been pushed out of their homeland because of persecution. And they had been victimized by circumstances that were literally beyond their control. And, and here they were, wading in some stormy waters of suffering and fear and uncertainty. But Peter tells these people, listen, in the midst of all of this, you still have great, great reason to rejoice. You have a hope that is greater than your trials, a hope that is greater than your sufferings and your problems. Why? Because Peter tells them, he says, that from a heavenly perspective, you're God's chosen people. You are part of an eternal family, and as a result of that, this group, they, they, they had great value in God's eyes. Why is that? Well, he tells them that they've been born again. They, have, they, had been, they had received God's free gift of salvation. They had been saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And because of that, they had a priceless inheritance in heaven that Peter said was, he uses the word imperishable. In other words, nothing could take it away. It could never be lost. It could never be, be stolen from them. They had been born again into the same family through the living, enduring word of God. So everything in chapter one is family language. It's all family talk. These are God's people. And because this book is written to us as well, here's what we need to remember. We're God's people as well. You are God's people. And so here's the message as we transition out of chapter one into chapter two. Peter says, live like it. Live like it. Like, live, live like you're God's family. Live like you're God's chosen people. In the midst of, of the storm, live like you belong to the one who actually controls the storms. Well, fortunately, Peter gives us some instructions on how to do this. He really gives us some, some strong words of encouragement on how to do this, how to live this out. And for the sake of this morning's message, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word calling to describe how we are to live as God's people. What does it mean? What does it mean to live out our calling as God's people? Well, here's the first calling. We're called to live out our identity as God's people. Now, let's take a look at verses one through three. Right off the bat, Peter, he, Peter uses this word, so. Other versions of the Bible use the word, therefore. If you ever see the word, therefore, in the Bible, you have to stop and ask yourself, what is that therefore? okay. Peter refers back to chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, where he talks about the living, enduring word of God to say, listen, you have the power of God's word in your life to give you the ability to do what God is calling you to do. Nothing's lacking. So, or therefore, based upon the fact that you are God's people, you have a new identity, who have experienced a new birth, and now you have been empowered by God's word. Here's what Peter says. So... Put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander 
And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter says, listen, first of all, we've got to get rid of some things in our lives that we all struggle with. And, And he says, first of all, we have to put away evil desires. Now, Take a look again at the, word, the words that Peter uses. They're, they're interesting words. He, he uses the word malice. It is a general word for evil. It means evil thoughts, evil intentions, evil actions. He uses the word deceit. It means lies, half-truth. This involves more than just lying to, to someone's faith, face. It is, it is acting in a way that is two-faced. He throws out the word hypocrisy, putting on a show, hiding real intentions or covering motives, being one thing inside and completely another thing on the outside. He talks about envy, which is spite, jealous feelings, ambitious actions that, 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 that hurt other people. At times, we, remember, we see envy in the lives of the 12 disciples. They're arguing at one point in front of Jesus about who, who was the greatest amongst them. And then Peter throws out the word slander, which means evil speech. And he's talking about gossip, unrestrained criticism, cynical comments, exaggerated sarcasm. Now, why would Peter use these words? Out of all the words you could throw in here, why why these words? Well, because these words have the potential to destroy our relationships with one another. Each one of these words literally flies in the face of Peter's call to brotherly and unconditional love. These are the things that destroy a family. These are the things that destroy friendships and small groups and staff teams and, 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 and churches. And here's the truth about all of these things. We will struggle with all of these things for the rest of our lives. But our salvation, our new identity as God's people should change how people think and act towards one another. So we have to be constantly guarding ourselves against these things by, by Peter says, by putting them away, by getting them out of your life, by, by cutting them out. Um, I said earlier, I grew up in Michigan. I actually grew up in Detroit. And at one point in, in the history of my family, there were five flower shops. I come from a flower shop family. And, um, and so I grew up loving plants. I grew up loving, my dad had a flower shop when I was real, real young, and I grew up loving plants. And, and I used to work in flower shops and just cleaning stuff up. And, and so um, back when my dad died in 2004, and I mentioned that at the marriage retreat, he died in a, tragically in a rafting accident. Um, my in-laws... Um, gave my wife and I a peace lily. And you know how when people die, they, they, we give flowers, we give plants. Well, I have kept this peace lily alive since 2004. It has been my job. I, this thing means a lot to me. Now, I want to tell you about this peace lily. A lot of times, and most of the time, this thing will have flowers. It is much fuller than what you see on that screen right now. Okay? And some of you may be going, well, what, what, what happened to your plant there? Let me show you what happened to my plant. <clears throat> Last summer, my, my oldest son uh, and his wife, my oldest son works in minor league baseball for the Kansas City Royals. Um, he, he and his wife had this great idea to get a black lab in the middle of their season. How many of you have ever owned a lab? Best dogs in the world except for year one. This dog who's lived with us mostly over the last several months, there he is now. He's about 10 months, 11 months old, about 85 pounds. He's a gardener. He loves plants. He's a pruner. So when he walks past my peace lily, oh, there's a flower. There's a plant. There's a green. And so that's what's happened to my beautiful peace lily. Here's the truth about plants. If you don't cut the bad stuff out, the good stuff cannot grow. 
We have to cut out or put away the evil things that, would, that could destroy God's family. And then Peter says, because of our new, our new identity as God's people, he said, number two, we have to pursue spiritual growth. This is job number one for those of us who call ourselves God's people. Look at how we are to pursue, uh, pursue spiritual growth. Peter says, like newborn babies. We have some in this room right now because of family dedication. All right. How many of you have ever witnessed what happens when a newborn baby gets hungry? It's intense. It's relentless, right? It's, I mean, it can get ugly. And it is not stopping until that baby gets what it wants. Now, how many times does a newborn baby get hungry like I just described? Every day, several times a day. Have you ever met a newborn baby who only gets intensely hungry at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning? No, no, no. You say, well, where are you going with this? Peter's describing how God's people should pursue spiritual growth. He says, since you have tasted the Lord's kindness in bringing you into his family and then calling you one of his people, you should intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Why? So that you can really grow in your understanding and application of this new life that God has called you into. The only way you can really live out your identity as, as, as God's people is to put away the stuff that destroys and divides and to go after spiritual growth with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Now, I may have just slipped some Jim Harbaugh into that last sentence, so please forgive me. But we're called to embrace this new identity. But we're also called to embrace our role as God's house. As we get into verse four, Peter shifts this imagery from babies and milk to, to bricks and buildings. And here's what he says in verse four. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, for it stands in scripture. He's going back to the Old Testament now. Behold, he says, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, he says that, the, that stone the, that, the, that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. In verse four, Peter uses this phrase. He says, as you come to him. Now, who is Peter talking about when he uses the word him? And, and what, is, what does it mean to come to him? Well, Peter describes him in verses four through seven, and he says, he is the one that men have rejected. He is, the, he is the living precious cornerstone, and he is the stone that the builders have rejected. Now, where's Peter getting this language? He's getting it from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Isaiah writes this, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation stone in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. I love this. I love this because Isaiah is prophesying about Jesus. He says that God is placing a foundation stone in Israel. He is a firm and tested stone. He is a precious stone that is safe enough to build your life upon. And then he says that when you come to this precious cornerstone for salvation by faith, he says, you will not be shaken. 
He says, when you build your life on this stone, he says, you will not be put to shame. You will never be disgraced and you will never be disappointed. And that is incredible news for those who come to this living stone. He is our foundation stone. Last year, um, I was actually at a conference with Pastor Chris. And I got a phone call from my mom that she had just been diagnosed. My mom's 77 years old. She had just been diagnosed with breast cancer and, and lymphoma. And I watched her go through six, seven months of intense radiation and chemo, chemo and then radiation. If you've ever seen this or if you've been through this yourself, I mean, you know, I mean, it is just, it, it is brutal. It, 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 was, it was an incredibly stormy season of uncertainty, not just for my mom, but for our whole family. And then two weeks ago, we got to see her ring the bell that she had been completely healed. Listen, I watched my mom struggle physically like I'd never seen before, but I want to tell you something. Spiritually, she was not shaken. You say, why not? Well, because she, has, she had been building her life on a foundation stone that could not be shaken for over 60 years. Who is that stone? It's Jesus. The hymn that Peter is speaking about is Jesus. He's our living stone. He's our foundation stone. He's our, he's our precious cornerstone. But then Peter says this. He says, this same stone that has become a stone of stumbling has also become a rock of offense. Listen, we live in this interesting time when people want to create a version of Jesus that doesn't offend anyone but appeases everyone. They want a Jesus that doesn't rock the boat. They want a Jesus that, that, that who doesn't challenge you to change your life. Listen to me. If your version of Jesus, the Jesus that you're following, if that version doesn't challenge you or cause you to rethink your life or lead you to repentance, then he is not the Jesus of the Bible. Okay? Peter says Jesus is the stone, and he's the stone that makes people stumble. He's the rock that trips people up. They stumble and trip because they refuse to obey God's word, just as the Old Testament prophets predicted they would. Now, where is Peter? As Peter's writing this, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, and most likely he's thinking about all of his fellow Jews who were rejecting Jesus as their Messiah. But I believe this has a strong meaning and application for anyone who refuses to come to Christ and reject him to be their savior. Listen, when Peter uses the phrase, as you come to him, he's clearly talking about coming to Jesus. But he's not just talking about coming to Jesus for salvation. He's also talking about drawing near to him for spiritual growth. He's saying that when, when you are coming to Jesus, when you are drawing near to Jesus, you are not only, we are not only growing in, in spiritual maturity, but then Peter says, we're being built up. Built up is what? We're being built up as God's house. What does it mean to be God's house? Here's what it means. We are part of an ongoing construction project. In verse five, Peter uses a special metaphor to talk about God's people. Look at verse five again. He says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Where did Peter get this illustration of people being built up as God's house, of people being a building? Well, if you remember, there's a moment back in the book of Matthew where Jesus and his disciples, are, are, they're hanging out at this ancient place called Caesarea Philippi. This place was known for pagan worship and idolatry. My wife Amy and I, uh, last uh, June, July, we had a chance to go to Israel and uh, before things got crazy. And we had a chance to, I actually took this picture right here. Um, this is a picture of modern day Caesarea Philippi. Now, when Jesus and his disciples would have been standing in this place, I want to tell you what, what, they, what 
they would, what they would have seen. They would have seen beautiful temples built into those rocks, right outside of those rocks, actually. They would have seen a, a, a temple of, built to of the foreign god Pan. They would have seen another temple built to the foreign god Zeus. You see that big cave in the middle of that rock structure right there? In front of that hole, Jesus would have been looking at the temple of Augustus. And behind that temple was that cave. That was the grotto of Pan. Pan was the god of the wild, the shepherds. He was the god of the flocks. Pan is depicted as this half man, half goat creature. That cave right there was seen by the ancient world as the entryway to the underground, the underworld. It was seen as the entrance to heaven. So as Jesus stood there, he asked his disciples a question. Who do people say that I am? What do they do? They start spitting out answers. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah or even one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looks at him and he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Then he says, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the backdrop for that story right there. We are part of an ongoing construction project. Jesus is the cornerstone of the project and he is currently building his church. He is taking dead stones that are being quarried from the pit of death and depravity and sin and he is bringing them to life as living stones and he's fitting them together to build this beautiful structure called God's house, God's church. And every single time someone comes to faith and trusts Jesus Christ to be their savior, another stone is placed into that living, growing church. Listen, you are a vital piece of what the master builder is fitting together right now. Because without you, something would be missing. The wall would be weakened. Never underestimate your value and your part in the larger community of Christ. Not only are we stones that are being built up as a spiritual house, but Peter says this. I love this. He says, we're a, we're a holy priesthood. He actually goes further in, into verse nine. He says, you're, you're actually a royal priesthood. So what does that mean? Well, as part of God's house, we have house privileges. Now, what did an Old Testament priest do? Well, he went into the temple and he interceded in prayer on behalf of, of God's people, the children of Israel. But now, because we are God's house, he has chosen to live inside of us, of us. We are his temple as part of his church. We no longer need a priest to mediate with God on our behalf. We have full access to the throne room of grace because of our relationship with Jesus, who is our high priest. Hebrews chapter four, verse 16 tells us that we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. We no longer need animal sacrifices to cleanse us from our sins. We no longer need an earthly priest to serve as our middleman. We don't need rituals and ceremonies to help us access the doorway of heaven. We have direct, complete, 24-7 access to God. So when you are going through sufferings and trials and storms and testings, you walk into the throne room of grace and you just say, our Father, and he listens to you. Isn't that amazing? This new priesthood has also given us the privilege to serve as priests on behalf of one another. We are, we are encouraged repeatedly in the New Testament to pray for one another. James chapter 5 or 16 tells us to confess our sins and to pray for one another. So what? So that we would be healed. We have some incredible privileges as part of God's house, but we also have some responsibilities. 
Peter says in verse five, that as God's people, we are part of God's house. And with that, we have responsibilities as holy priests to offer spiritual sacrifices, listen now, that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I'm gonna jump into the deep end for just a moment, so stay with me. We're not Old Testament priests bringing physical sacrifices so that others can be made acceptable to God. We are now holy priests, now deemed acceptable to God because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of Jesus, we can walk into God's presence with our offerings of worship, with our offerings of devotion, with our offerings of service, with our offerings of unity. We can bring our gifts and our talents and our abilities, and we can offer all of those things as what Peter says, as spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And that's not only our privilege, but it's part of our responsibility as God's house. As God's people, we are called to embrace our role in God's house. We are part of this construction project with privileges and responsibilities. But here's the third calling. We're called to be a unique witness of Jesus Christ to a dark world. Look at verse nine. Peter writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. He says, once you were not a people at all. He says, but now you're God's people. He says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I said, we're called to be a unique witness of Jesus Christ. What is so unique about us? Well, Peter says, listen, there was a time, there was a time when you were not a people, but now you're God's people. And then he says, you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. He says, you're a holy nation. He says, you're a people for God's own possession. He says, you are benefactors of God's mercy. Now I wanna tell you where Peter got that language from. He is borrowing language from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. He's bringing it in and he's drawing an analogy between the nation of Israel as God's unique chosen people of the Old Testament and now us, the church, his church, this unique chosen people of the New Testament. Let me read Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six, so you can see what I'm talking about. Here's, here's what Moses wrote. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out, of, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, listen to me. Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that the church has replaced Israel. What I am saying is that just as God called the people of Israel to be unique, to be this chosen nation with a special purpose among a bunch of pagan people and pagan kingdoms, he has now called his church, he's called us to be a unique witness of Jesus Christ to a dark, wicked world. Now, it would be easy for us to look at all of those words, to look at what we have as God's people and go, well, I grew up in the right place, went to the right, had the right family, kind of deserved this. When we, it, honestly, it could be easy for us to get boastful and arrogant about I'm chosen until you realize that you didn't do anything to earn it and you don't deserve it. I know there's a lot of debate around the word chosen right now. I'll let Pastor Chris dive into all of that with you, okay? 
But here's what I'll say to you. When he chose us, he made us a holy nation. He turned us into a holy nation. What does that mean? The word holiness does not mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that he has set us apart. Peter says we are God's people. We are a people for God's own possession. That means that we're not special because of who we are. We are special because of the one to whom we belong. Before we didn't belong to anybody. We didn't belong to God, but now we do. We're his own possession. We are beneficiaries of mercy, a mercy that we don't deserve. So what do we do with all of this unmerited goodness and kindness and favor and love? What, what, do, you, what do we do with it? We embrace the reason behind it. We have been chosen. We have been set apart. We've been given new identities for special purposes. And Peter lays it out in verse 9. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. In other words, we are called to serve as an advertising agency tasked with the message of sharing the love of Jesus. He has called us out of darkness into this marvelous light and our words and our actions should reflect this incredible truth. We should be telling the world, we should be telling our community, we should be telling the people that live in our neighborhood and our family members about what Jesus has done for us and how he's changed his life, our lives. But also, as we live in this world, both individually and when we gather corporately as God's people, the world ought to be able to see with their own eyes what our marvelous God is just, what he's like. They should see a reflection of Jesus in our lives. They should see a people who are truly living out their calling as God's people. How do we do that? We're called to live out our identity as God's people. We gotta cut out the evil junk, the malice, the deceit, the envy, the, 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 the hypocrisy, the slander. We've gotta pursue spiritual growth like newborns crave milk. We're called to embrace our role as God's house. We're in an, we are an ongoing construction project, all of us, with very unique privileges and responsibilities. And we're called to, to be a unique witness of Jesus Christ in a very dark world. Listen, I, I love this. Think about this for a moment. We're a chosen, holy, set-apart people who have been commissioned with a special purpose to proclaim the greatness of the one who rescued us, redeemed us, and saved us. And that's incredible. He is the one. Listen, he is the one that has brought each and every one of us out of darkness into marvelous light. Listen, sometime today, I want you to grab a moment by yourself with no one else around I want you to look again at these words. Chosen, chosen people, chosen race, holy nation, set apart, God's own possession, benefactors of this great mercy. And I want you just to say, Lord, I don't deserve any of that. Nothing I've done has allowed me to earn this. But here we are. I'm experiencing a grace that I don't deserve. Lord, help me to live as one of your people. Not just so that I'm doing it, but so that the world will see it in me. And thank you for Jesus who made it all possible. Because it's by my faith and my trust in him alone has all of that become possible for me. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making us a chosen people, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession. 
Lord, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him. Who is him? Jesus. Thank you so much. We love him today. So grateful for Jesus. And we thank you that he is the one, the foundation stone, the cornerstone, the living stone that brings us together. And so as we go through life and we face trials and struggles and challenges, may we anchor ourselves in that stone. Because when we do that, we will not be shaken. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.